0: Today, we're going to talk about a low interest topic. It might even be boring. We're going to talk about sex. That's right. That's what we're talking about today, sex. You're going to hear your pastor talking about sex, and I'm going to use the word sex over and over again. So I thought I would buy the best book you can buy on sex. Oh, I already had it on my shelf. It's called the Bible because people don't realize that the Bible has a lot to say about sex. God has a lot to tell us about sexuality. And in fact, here's one of the verses, Proverbs 5.18, it says this, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by your love. I've decided to start a new Bible reading plan just for men we're starting with that verse. If you want to sign up, let me know. Yeah, you didn't know the Bible had so many, so much to say about sexuality, and people think the Bible hardly talks about the subject, but yet it does over and over again. Now then, as a church, we've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and I hope you have been reading and reflecting and just thinking about many of the things that you've been reading. But one of the things I noticed about Proverbs is that King Solomon talks a lot about sexuality and he gives a lot of warning signals about sexual immorality or sexual misconduct or sexual sin, whatever phrase you want to use. But Solomon talks a lot about the dangers of living life outside of God's created design. So we're going to jump into one of those passages about sexuality and a warning for us. And it's in Proverbs chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 6 through 16. It's rather long. So here we go. While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain. I saw some naive young men, and one in particular lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight, in the evening, as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brass, brash, rebellious type. Never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. I can just imagine this guy. He's swelling up life. Somebody's paying attention to me. He thinks I am God's gift to women. He has all of these thoughts as she comes up to him. And he thinks, I never get that response at home. No one says that I've been waiting for you. Someone might say you're late again. Why don't you help out around the house? But he might be thinking, I don't get this. Look at verse 16, the very next verse. She says, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets and colored sheets of Egyptian linen he's thinking what an offer this is at my house i got old sheets that smell and we have to use a lot of febreze just to make the room smell good and he's thinking about what she's offering there instead of being at home and just rolling over and sleeping he can join her and at this point this guy he's just out of his mind and he's thinking how do i get this woman's husband out of the way when can we get started but she's already thought about that Her husband's on a business trip to Arizona and then he's going to fly to L.A. He's not going to be home for a couple weeks. He's away for a period of time. Here's what verse 19 says. She says, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. What we have here is an enticing temptation. And this young man, and Solomon calls him naive, is going to fall into a spiritual trap at this point. Now, some of you may have faced similar things. And it may not be crossing the street or something in this fashion, but you've encountered other things that have tempted you along the way. There's been that clicking of the mouse on the Internet. There's been that, well, let's stop at this bar or this strip club along the way. And the the problem may not have been adultery for you, it may have been something else. Whatever is lurking here, we've all faced temptation. It's common to everyone, whether it's the Internet or pornography or, or uh, flirting with somebody at work, all of those things. Maybe it's searching on Craigslist for people, or it's through your phone and the phone app, and you're looking to hook up with somebody. You see those enticing ads, and a someone might say, it's destruction for us when we go down. You're tempted to depart from God's ideal. God's design since the beginning of time is that marriage between one man and one woman, that sexuality, sex, would be in the confines of marriage, not found in any other place. Are you prepared for those kind of temptations? Are you prepared for the temptations that lurk at work, at school, those temptations that lurk on your phone, Are you ready to face when temptation like this hits you and that you may be thinking, oh, it'll never happen to me. It's always somebody else. Are you ready to, well, guard your heart during those times? How can you reduce your odds of giving in? There's a lot on the line for you. There's a lot on the line. And when we fall into this temptation, as Solomon's going to tell us, it can really ruin things in our lives. It can really be one of those things that, causes lots of regret and pain. So we need to have a proven test to get through this. Now, in Solomon's day, he warns us about the consequences of sexual immorality. And in his day, the, there are many kinds of temptations, and they may be different, but yet they're the same. They're the same. And in his day, uh, whether it was the Roman culture, or the Egyptian culture, it was just saturated with sexuality. It was, just like our culture today. And today what I want to do as we move through this passage, I want to talk about three warnings that Solomon is going to have for us and two things we can do about it. Are you ready for that? Three warnings and two things that we can do about I don't think I have to tell anybody that's listening to me today that sex isn't a current relevant issue in our culture today. It's everywhere. So I read a recent survey, 29%. People said they had sex on the first date. Millions of Americans, millions, visit adult websites. Teenagers are faced with sexual issues today. And so it's it's something that's in our culture. It's right here. So we need to express and admit our fallenness as human beings. We're all sexually broken. We're all flawed in our minds, in our emotions. And we need to acknowledge that it affects us our sex affects our sexuality. So let's look at point number one and here it is. Sexual immorality destroys everything that's important to you. Now when I use the word immorality, what that means is doing, uh, moral means doing, uh, means right, doing what's right. Immoral means doing what's wrong. So morality is just a question of Rightness is what that term means. And when we talk about sexual immorality, it means that we're crossing a boundary that God has set, and it destroys everything that's important to us. Verse 21, it says, "...so she seduced him with her pretty speech, enticed him with her flattery." Notice what the text said. It was you I was looking for. And at that point, hook, line, and sinker, man. This guy, and Solomon calls him young and naive, is. Drag down the corner right here. Now, here's the thing in verse 24, chapter 7. It's kind of the ending, and I want to go there for a moment. It says, So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Solomon could have talked about men or women. I I don't think he's singling anyone else. This is Hebrew poetry, and it's just the the writing style of the day. When we yield to sexual temptation, what happens is is this verse 27, it's the den of death. It's the den of death. Now, Solomon has given some big word pictures here, or I'm going to call them uh, um, uh, pictures of the consequences. And they begin in verse 22. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, that'd be a deer, a buck caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So we have these strong images of the ox, the deer, the bird, and he's saying that when those animals get trapped, they get slaughtered, there are consequences for the situation. So the ox has a rope around its neck led to the slaughter. You ever been in a slaughterhouse? I've been around slaughterhouses. Oh man, it's not good. If you've ever seen hot dogs and hamburgers and sausage made, you're going, I never want to see that again. And you know what? The consequences of immorality is just like that as well. Or the stag, the strong buck that gets well shot and arrow pierces its heart. It's almost like sexual immorality kills you. And it does because it destroys everything that's important to you. Or he talks about the wild bird that gets in a snare. The word there is cage and kind of entrapped inside something and its wings are going berserk trying to get out of the trap. And that's what happens when we get caught in the sexual trap, a spiritual trap of temptation with these things. The Bible is teaching us that when it comes to sexual immorality that there are consequences. And what looks like it's going to delight you What looks like it's going to be fun till no end is actually something that's temporary and there will be consequences. There will be pain. There will be regret with this. It's like you think it's honey, but in the end it turns out to be poison. Remember the phrase, the bedroom is the den of death. And so Solomon does that. And we hear this phrase, her bedroom is a den of death. And for many of you, you're like, "Oh." That's interesting, is that a new Netflix show? You know, you're just thinking that way and it's hard for us to take this seriously. It's just hard. 94% I read this week of sex scenes in movies are always between people who are not married. And so we just think it's no big deal and we begin to think it's just sex, it doesn't really matter. Researchers tell us that somewhere between 15 and 25% of married people have committed adultery. And the pain of that the pain of betrayal is often something glossed over and we don't talk about it. If people feel guilty about affairs, they feel even less guilty these days about pornography. And on the show, Politically Incorrect, a number of years ago, Bill Maher was, had a panel on to talk about pornography on, on his show. And this is what was said verbatim. Look, don't gripe about porn unless you, willing, unless you women are willing to give us sex whenever we want You lose the right to complain if we use porn. And the women on the panel agreed. What has happened to us? The sacredness of sex has been trivialized as well. And we hear this phrase, um, uh, her bedroom is a den of death, and we just gloss over that in our culture today. And some of you are thinking, that's a great movie. I might want to stream that. And that's part of the problem. The instinct of us is, I want to see that. The instinct is not for us. I want to live a pure life. I want to follow God, not only in my heart, mind, and soul, but with my sex life as well. These are pretty tough things. Someone once suggested, hey, Steve, you should watch the Game of Thrones. And I flipped it on 30 minutes in. I said, I can't watch this. I can't watch this because it it was one, sexual... Uh, a scene after another of seduction and sex outside of marriage. And I thought, I can't do this anymore after just 30 minutes. I'm done with that. See, we want the easy lie. And the lie is simply this, there are no consequences. And the lie is it will be fun. And the lie is don't let the Bible or anybody else tell you what's wrong or right. What's wrong or right is God's Word to us, and we can learn from God because He invented sex. Here's number two. Sexual misconduct, and I can use the word immorality there or sexual sin, I chose the word misconduct to be very broad, eviscerates friendships, just tears friendships apart. What exactly happens when there's sexual misconduct, sexual immorality? What happens when there's adultery and betrayal as well? Let me tell you one thing that I see that happens all the time is that your friendships are killed off. The closest people in your life all of a sudden distance themselves from you and your friendships get damaged. I was uh, talking to someone once and talking about to a business consultant and he said he was hired to help a bank. They had low morale and there was internal conflict among employees at this rather large bank and the consultant dived into the company and is doing some research and conducting interviews, and what he discovered was that the employees knew that the bank president was having an extramarital affair with someone in the bank. And no one was talking about it, but everyone knew it. It had imploded the morale and caused conflict within the company. You see, while you're on some type of fantasy about, well, no one will know It'll all be okay. No one's going to get hurt. You're slowly killing off your friendships as well, the relationships in your life. It's especially true in so many areas, and God wants to spare you the pain of isolation. Now think about this. Once your friends begin to distance themselves to you, what happens is you get isolated, and then the problem gets worse. When we fall into sexual sin, we become isolated from other people. It's a terrible cycle for us, and we need to realize what exactly is happening in our relationships. Long, lifelong friendships have been ruined by sexual immorality, by adultery, by misconduct. A local teacher was having an affair with the parent of one of their students the ramifications were significant. Lifelong friendships were torn apart. Parents were polarized. The gossip continued. The conflict ensued. People chose sides. A community leader has an affair with another government official. Everybody knows about it, hits the newspaper. Well, it causes people to choose sides. Conflict evolves, eviscerates friendships as well. A woman has an unhappy marriage. So she joins a sex club, and at noon on her lunch break, she goes and meets men she's never met. Her children find out about the situation, her adult children, and to this day do not speak to her, causing great pain across her family and with her friends, and it eviscerates friendships. Make no mistake about it. Number three, sexual misconduct eliminates freedom in our lives. What happens is we get sucked into things and we can't break free. We are are at the mercy of our own desires and our ability to take responsibility and our ability to just distance ourselves from what is wrong becomes impossible to us. I read a story about a Christian who had spent a lot of his time in strip clubs and in prostitutions, and he would label himself as a sex addict as well. And he wrote an article several years ago and he talks about three stages and he says this first awakening because it started out exciting like no one's going to know and it started out as an adventure to him and then he says it moved into the place of being an obsession where it was controlling to a great degree his time his money and and his emotional energy went into this and he says the third stage was possession where it's like this thing just possessed him and controlled him He was no longer walking the dog, but the dog was walking him. Do you see what can happen? You can get into this spiritual trap and be deceived, and all of a sudden, it's ruining your life. He wrote this. I learned quickly that lust points only in one direction. You can't go back to a lower level and stay satisfied. You always want more. He said he reached the point where he could no longer control his eyes with every website. I look for the racy picture. And when he traveled, he said this, I wish the motel room could be locked from the outside because I wouldn't want to leave. I was trapped there looking at pornography and inviting prostitutes to my motel. You see, it's frightening to go from an obsession to possession. It just kind of owns you. It's an addiction that can happen in your life. There are counseling services that that's their only thing they do is to help men and women to break free from this kind of addiction. You want freedom in your life. You don't want to yield to every feeling and thought that you have. You don't want to be a slave to those things. The cost is too high. I want to give you a couple guidelines on how to reduce the likelihood that this will happen in your life, that you might be following into it because You want to have a life of integrity as you follow Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing, the first bullet point. Avoid situations. And it just sounds obvious, right? Just avoid that kind of a situation where you know you will be tempted. And I hear people say this sometimes. I got willpower. Oh, yeah? You got willpower? You'll never have enough willpower for those things. I, I, the other day... Mary brought home a plate of cookies. There were three very nice cookies on this plate. She left them on the counter. And you know what? I ate one. Wow, was it good. 10 minutes later, I ate the second one. It was even better. And then I walked by five minutes later. I said, I'm just gonna have the third one. And then I ate all three of the cookies on the plate. These were those nice cookies that, that are just terrific. And then Mary says to me, you ate all the cookies. I was going to have one of those. I didn't even have the willpower to say no to the cookies. And how can we ever expect that we can have willpower when it comes to sexual temptation? So you got to avoid those kinds of situations. King David, Solomon's father, it was said that he was a man after God's own heart. Yet he murdered a man and committed adultery. It ruined his family ruined his kingdom." Don't think that you have the willpower to resist these things on your own. Do not be alone with your computer. Avoid that situation. Do not be alone maybe with your phone. Make sure if you're married that your spouse or some friends have passwords to all of your stuff. Make sure that that you're an open book about those things. Remember what Solomon wrote? I saw a young man. He was naive. He walked across the street to a place he shouldn't have been. And I have to wonder did he have to walk right then? Couldn't he have avoided and kept going down the street a little further before he crossed? Couldn't he have avoided that whole thing? But no, he walked, I think, deliberately in front of that house. And Solomon says he lacks common sense. Some of you right now, you are mentally walking across the street, mentally. And you're thinking about your coworker who you wish would flirt with you a little bit more, you're thinking about the person in the classroom. You're a college student. You're thinking about the, about the other person in the classroom, and your mind is going there in an unhealthy way. You're thinking about your phone and the, the apps that you might have on your phone. You are, you are dancing across the street at darkness. We have to be careful about those things. You know full well. I challenge you right now, are you willing, are you willing to be aggressive and put some boundaries in your life? Avoid the situations that will trip you up. Avoid those things. Have some parameters with your computer, with your phone. Have some parameters with the way that you treat people in your life. Make it more difficult for yourself to be tempted. What's the next bullet point to keep ourselves safe is to seek accountability. That's why I said your spouse or somebody else should... You know, have free reign at your phone or something like that. Make sure you check in with your friends and just have an honest discussion about it. And remember this, that when you get sucked into this, it just isolates you even further from your friends, even further from accountability, and you feel the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, but what you need more than ever is accountability. You need a community group of Grace. We have an entire uh, a group of people. We have a mass unit for men. We have all kinds of ministries here to help people with those things to give you accountability. Solomon said, I saw a young man and he walked across the street. I can't help but think, what if he would have been with a friend? He walked across the street with a friend and the friend said, we need to keep walking. Get out of here you need that friend. You need someone else in your life that you can talk to about this. Here's a positive principle. We've talked about some consequences, and here's number four. Purity draws us closer to God. That's the positive part. Matthew 5.8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God wants to get to know you. God wants you to enjoy him. God wants to give you love and forgiveness and compassion. And when we have pure hearts, we can draw close to God and see Him. Now, many people assume the Bible warns against sexual immorality because God is a killjoy. God doesn't want you to have any fun and and God just wants to stamp all that out. Not true, not true. God created sex for our enjoyment. It's kind of like for our joy. He gave us sex for our joy. But since He's the creator of it, He knows what gives us the maximum joy. And that's why we need to think about sexuality in the form of marriage, uh, in the marriage bedroom at all, because sex outside of marriage kills all kind of freedom in your life. God wants you to save you from mistakes. Some of you who are listening right now, you're thinking, maybe it's too late for me. I've made so many mistakes. I wish I would have heard this message 15 years ago, 25 years ago. I wish I would have heard this message five days ago. I have some good news for you. God can make your heart pure right now. That's right. Right now, God can bring a sense of wholeness, impurity. He can remove the guilt. What are you going to do with that guilt? What do we do with guilt in life? What do we do with embarrassment and shame? What do we do with those things? Jesus can wipe the slate clean. He can bring us forgiveness. God will have mercy on you and he will bring you to a place of reconciliation with himself and restoration as well. Instead of having self-incriminating thoughts and having thoughts that you're worthless, God would like you to begin to see that you belong to him and that you can be a person who's forgiven. Healing takes time, but the place to start is right now, and the place to start is to confess your sin to God, and you can have a pure heart. This is where 1 John 1 9 really helps us. It says this, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God wants to give you, God wants to give you a clean heart, listen to me closely. Right now as you're listening to me, you can just pray a prayer just in your mind. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to sing a song. You can just say right now, God, I have messed up and here's what I did. You can just tell him that. And you can just admit your sin and God, Jesus Christ begins to forgive you and give you compassion and wholeness in your life as well. So healing is possible for us no matter what has happened in your life. And it can start today, just as you are looking at me as well. Jesus brings that kind of forgiveness into your life. God is not afraid to talk about sex. I mean, he created sex, right? Sex was his design. Okay, I'm going to shock some of you. I believe there is a God because there is sex. I mean, where else did it come from? Who invented it? Who would have had an idea about this? Do you think some caveman invented sex? I can just see his diary. Caveman, I run into wall of cave because it's dark. Ouch, it hurts. I run into woman, she's soft, we fall down. I help her up. Sex, it was great. Cavemen did not invent sex, God did. And God's idea is that sex has a purpose and design that we can have emotional intimacy in relationships. The Bible says that marriage and sex are God's sacred gifts to us, and it represents God's best to us. And it's God's way, theologians tell us, it mimics what we call the theology of the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, They have fellowship together. There's a relational aspect to that. God the Father, God the Son. And likewise, human beings have a strong relationship with one another in marriage. And so, in marriage is where God created that sexuality will be lived out. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this mirror image between marriage and God's relationship to His people. Because it's through marriage and sexuality that we can find freedom. One of the questions I think that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to sexuality is what is my core identity? Who am I as a person? I am defined by God. I am not defined by my sex life. God defines who I am. My core spiritual identity comes from Him. I am a child of God. I am a son or I am a daughter of God. I am forgiven by God. That is my core identity of who I am. It far exceeds anything to do with my sex life. Do not let your sex life determine your core identity or you will always be at the mercy of your feelings and of your emotion. God loves me and forgives me. That is my core identity. Number five, and I think this is really important for us in moving forward in our lives, is, is this count the cost. That's basically what Solomon is saying. Hey, through all of this, we've got to count the cost. And sexual sin is always going to look good, but we have to be aware of where it may lead us in life. And it's the promise of helping us to feel good, but it will always end up short. One of the things that I've been per, that I have been perplexed about is that King Solomon wrote proverbs, yet and gave us all these warnings about sexuality. Yet he did not take his own advice; he messed up. And in fact, Jesus mentions that Solomon was the wisest person. Throughout Scripture, he's often acknowledged as the as the author of proverbs, which he is, and other books of the Bible. And yet, he made mistakes in his life. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon says, Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant, Solomon speaking in the first person, a, a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And Solomon is young and he's assuming the throne to become the king of Israel. And he asked God to give him wisdom. And God and Solomon becomes this wise person that writes the Proverbs and gives us all of these warnings. And yet, in Solomon's life, it was also his downfall. It's just overwhelming to me that this could happen in his life. And if it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to you or to me. Later on in 1 Kings, which tells the story about Solomon, says in 1 Kings eleven three. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. In other words, he had a harem. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been." Why didn't Solomon take his own advice? He had a divided heart. He was a little bit loyal to God, to Yahweh, to the God, the creator of the universe. And then he became loyal to Baal and idols and began to worship them. And he had a divided heart. And it all starts because he was promiscuous in these areas. It all starts because of this, of this, of this sexual immorality in his life. If it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to you can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. Don't fool yourself, guard yourself. And remember that purity draws us closer to God and when we count the cost, it reminds us. That's why counting the cost is so important. It reminds us to make sure our hearts are on path to follow Jesus Christ. It's easier said than done, it really is. I wanna be really sensitive to those of you who feel trapped by some of these things. Right now, what you need, perhaps, is to just pray on your own, to talk to God. Perhaps what you need is to confide in a close friend and just share your struggles. Perhaps what you need right now is just to immerse yourself into God's Word. I don't know how many times people have sat in my office and said, I never should have done that. I never should have flirted with him. I never should have flirted with her. I never should have done this. Don't live with that kind of regret in your life. I never should have gone to that party. I shouldn't have taken those drugs. I shouldn't have gotten drunk. And you know what? The story goes on and on. And so we live with a life of regret. And it's just like Solomon. I never should have had all of those wives and concubines. I shouldn't have had a harem. He wanted to be like the other kings of his day. And it was his downfall. So we need to... Be focused on following the Lord Jesus Christ. The stakes are too high. The ramifications are innumerable. You can hurt friendships. It kills everything that's important to you. It drives people away. It hurts your family. Your parents may not speak to you. Your children may not speak to you. Your friends may look down upon you. You need to build aggressive boundaries in your life. God loves you, and He wants the best for your life. And He wants the best for your, get this, He wants the best for your sex life, and He wants you to have maximum joy, and that's going to be found by living in God's perfect design. Live under His design. He invented sex. He created it, and when we follow His playbook, it brings fulfillment to our lives. Pay attention to Solomon's words. Even Solomon made missteps but we don't have to. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray for your protection. Help us to seek after accountability and to build guardrails in our lives. Perhaps you're listening to me right now and you have your eyes closed and it's time to, for you to send up a flare signal to God, I, I've messed up, forgive me. And when you do that, God forgives. And remember that you are defined by what God says about you. And right now he says that you are a forgiven one. And you don't have to live the way you've been living. Heavenly Father, I just pray for our church. I pray that we can be compassionate on people in this area, that we can be supportive and helpful of those who have made mistakes, and that we can together strive after purity so that we can know you even better. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Have a great week.